As we continue our journey through the book of Ruth, we find ourselves face to face with a kinsman redeemer. What is a kinsman redeemer, you ask? Oh, that's a great question. And the book of Ruth has an amazing answer for us. This marvelous shadow of the Savior to come. It's all here in this redemptive love story that we call the book of Ruth. Welcome to Abounding Grace. Pastor Chris Gordon takes us to the book of Ruth today, chapter 3. We'll read through the entire book, but focus in on verses 1 through 8. Our Redeemer Lives. That's the title of our message today. Take a moment, join us, and be encouraged in Christ with this edition of Abounding Grace Now, our teacher and pastor. Here's Pastor Chris Gordon. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative with whose young women you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash, therefore, and anoint yourself, and put on your cloak, and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. And she replied, all that you say, I will do. So she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. At midnight, the man was startled and turned over and behold, a woman lay at his feet. He said, who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant for you are a redeemer. He said, may you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter, for you have made this last kindness greater than the first and that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask, for all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. And now it is true that I am a redeemer, yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight and in the morning. If he will redeem you good, let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. So she lay at his feet until the morning, but arose before one could recognize another. And he said, let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. And he said, bring the garment you are wearing and hold it out. So she held it, and he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her, and she went into the city. And when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, How did you fare, my daughter? Then she told her all that the man had done for her, saying, These six measures of barley he gave to me, for he said to me, You must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. She replied, Wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out. For the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. And there will end the reading of God's Word. The beautiful truth of uh, this little book of Ruth is that God is working in the events that 
unfold in the most uh, surprising of ways. I, I, I tried to capitalize on that last time. His surprising ways to fulfill his greater plan. It's, it's really wonderful to study and to see God's master plan unfold in this book as we look at the event's turn and the choices that, that human beings make through that. It's a marvel and something that as we study we are just caught. Uh, in marvel at his wonderful ways through even the choices of sinful human beings. The marvel is that he is doing it through terrible decisions that were made. The uh, terrible decisions that as we've studied, we have focused in on this little family in Israel uh, and, and studied them as a, what we call a microcosm of the macrocosm. In other words, they represent the spiritual state of Israel and are, as we study the story, are supposed to understand a larger message for Israel through their story. Bad decision number one. Leave the land to escape God's chastisement when he's driving his people back to him. Bad decision number two. Your sons marry outside the covenant because of terrible spiritual leadership on, I hate to say this on Father's Day, a father's part. Bad decision number three, get mad and bitter when it all comes crumbling down on you because of your decisions. And blame God. And then today, bad decision number four, once things turn around a little bit, try to take it into your hands to make it all work again. Well, that's the way I'm going with it, and we'll see by the time we're done. I have a good discussion, I hope, afterwards. Uh, it's a little more complex of a passage to know exactly how to, how to look at the events that are happening here today. Um, but the overarching truth can't be missed, that we have watched God in mercy and grace begin to showcase his great plan through all these actions that are rather shocking. And now he's beginning to spotlight his Redeemer, as I uh, study this book and, and look at it freshly, uh, I believe that this today is the heart of the book. What we're seeing uh, in Naomi is how God brings Israel to himself, how he restores Israel. A recognition that when God gives blows and chastisements for sin in our lives, it has the goal of drawing back his people to show them his great love and care, his kessed and redemption. That, that little word kesed is all throughout this book for a reason. Covenant love, steadfast love, loving kindness, fidelity, all those words, faithfulness, all those words come together in that word kesed to capture everything beautiful about God's love for us. And that's what drives this story. The more you understand that, the more you appreciate that, the more you begin to contemplate the love of God for you and understand that he's not out to attack you, but to bring you to himself as his people. Well, then we begin to rejoice in our Redeemer. And our bitterness is replaced with joy. And that's what we're looking at today. The struggle is still here, but we're beginning to see something happen in Naomi. We're beginning to see her engage and understand, uh, as we sung out from Psalm 113, how he condescends and, and enters in and cares about the things that happen on earth in our lives. I want to look at this today uh, in, in, in three brief ways. The unholy plan that Naomi gives here to begin with. 
And then the righteous response that follows. And then at the end, we'll set it up for next time, the greater uh, call to Israel, looking at the greater story in the background. But let's start with this unholy plan of Naomi. You'll remember last time, and we began to see this great change in Naomi as Ruth uh, was provided for in Israel as she went to Israel's fields, contrary to Naomi going to the fields of Moab, as Ruth did what was right and went to the fields. Lo and behold, there were all kinds of surprising blessings to a field, an important field that God had placed her in. And you'll remember when she came back full and provided for, and Naomi heard what field she had gone to, the field of Boaz. Naomi begins a beautiful testimony of praise. It's, it's wonderful. Uh, Blessed be the Lord who has not forsaken his kindness to the living and the dead. I, I see now. God's not against me. He's for me. And he's remembered the living and the dead. He loves me. So, so we're beginning to see that, that blindness and that bitterness replaced by hope and replaced uh, with happiness. So we enter the scene of a starting to revival of Naomi, if you will, a beginning revival of Naomi. But I want you to notice what happens now at this point in verse 1. This is, you'll see why I call it unholy plan. Uh, Naomi has the sense that God has be, begun to reverse the course of their sorrow. Providence has moved from dark providence to smiling providence. She can see it. This has revived her. But it's not moving quite quick enough. It's not moving quite quick enough. What's on her mind? Well, you went to Boaz's field. (laughs) There's a lot of things that could happen to wreck that. We need to make this happen. We need to make this happen. So here's my plan. Look at verse 1. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you? But you kind of stop and say, who seeks rest and who gives rest? You want a resting place. Should I not seek rest for you that it may be well with you? Uh, The word means rest, and Naomi recognizes that though things have turned around, there still was one thing lacking. There still was one thing, and this is a whole history to this. I think you have to read Ruth in light of all the history at this point that has come before. This was the big issue through all the patriarchs. Remember going through Genesis, how much they were so concerned to get the seed, so concerned to to get a son, And you'll notice here that we're at the end of the wheat harvest, which means this would have been six to eight weeks later. Things are not moving very quickly. And it should be striking to us when she says, I will seek rest for you. Boaz, he's our relative. In fact, guess what? He's winnowing barley tonight. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to wash yourself. I want you to put on your best garment I want you to go down to the threshing floor. But don't make yourself known to the man. I want you to hide. Until he is finished eating and he's really feeling good after he's had some wine. And then you show yourself. I want you to lie down 
at his feet when he's asleep. And I want you to uncover his feet. He'll tell you what to do. I asked, uh, I ran into Reverend Van E yesterday and he was already pressing me what I thought about this. How are you going to preach that? How are you going to preach that? He wanted to get the, the low down early. See, he knows that verse 4 is one of the most unclear verses in the Bible, if you will. In other words, that verse almost, as, as all the scholars say, almost every word could mean something different than how we think. It's, it's all over the place in how to interpret it. This is the great threshing floor scene. Now here's what I, why I call it an unholy scene. Uh, we know from Hosea chapter 9 that the threshing floors were notorious places uh, of wickedness and lasciviousness in Israel. Uh, wicked behavior took place there. Threshing floors were typically outside of the city walls, and they sat up high enough so that the wind could blow the chaff away from the wheat. They were very secluded places, and because of that, they were common sites of drunkenness and prostitution. For Naomi to send Ruth there at night, and, and Boaz recognized this in the last chapter, stay by my women so that no other men come after you. It was dangerous to do this. So you stand back as a pastor and you're an interpreter of the Bible and you say, well, how do you interpret this? Put on your best dress. Put on perfume. They've been a hard day's work. After he's well drunk, after a hard day's work, and his heart is lifted up and happy. Now, I'm not saying drunk in the sense of sloppy. He's, a, he's, he's cognizant and aware they would have wine after these things. And they would rest. Once he's felt good and he's cheered from his hard day's work and he goes down to lay down, I want you to uncover his feet. Now some say this is a great euphemism. That's what they call them. You have two options. When you read this, you can probably come up with this that Naomi was suggesting to Ruth to seduce Boaz to get her redeemer. Or she was simply doing all in her power to give Boaz the opportunity to take Ruth and do this. You stand back and you start to say, well, would you do this? Would any of your, uh, you parents here tell your daughter to go do this? Uh, some parents might. If they want a husband for their daughter, they might. Uh, Prince Charming comes around, they might. After a lot of potential hardship and a lot of potential difficulty and a lot of potential grief and possibilities endlessly of what could happen to your daughter, here comes Prince Charming. He's got to get noticed. I guess it depends on how bad you want her to get married. Parents lose all objectivity when it comes to marriage at times for their children. We'll get his attention. We'll get his attention. And here's how you do it. You make a provocative throw at him. Well, okay. 
Someone might disagree with me on that. I'm okay if you do. Someone might say this was a righteous thing that she did. I don't see it. If you're a pastor, how would you preach this? Here's my problem. Here's my problem. Here's why I made the choice. There's so much history behind this. That's how you interpret it. Here's something that'll rattle your minds a little bit when you think about this threshing floor scene. You remember who this is? This is a Moabitess. How did the Moabites come about? Come, let's make our father drink wine and we will lie with him that we may preserve the offspring. So they made their father drink wine that night. And that was Ruth's people. The plan originated. Moabites came this way. And then to suggest, which is another provocative thought, to send a Moabite woman down to the threshing floor has a lot of bad history to it, doesn't it? You may agree with the, disagree with the interpretation, but it certainly was not prudent to send a Moabitess there. For the biggest problem of Israel in history was that the Moabite women seduced them into sexual immorality. And Israel began, and I quote, to commit sexual immorality with the daughters of Moab. Don't make yourself done, uh, known until he's done drinking. And then go lay at his feet and see how his response. Or, who can forget Tamar? I need a kinsman redeemer, which is interesting. The brothers failed. Onan failed. He wouldn't take me. She puts on garments, hides as a prostitute, poses as a prostitute, and righteous Judah takes her and has a son. Oh, you know the story. It's all been told to you all throughout the Bible. Elimelech and Naomi don't have a good track record. They had taken matters into their own hands with God's chastisement on Israel, left Moab for Moab. Their sons marry foreign women. Chastisement comes. And so now here we are. God's favor begins to be shown. And she tries to control obtaining the promise her way. We already have this long history. Who can forget Sarai to Abram? Hey, go into my servant Hagar and get the seed. This is, there's so much history to this. And it's leaving us on the edge of our seats. You see, I think it captures the book so beautifully of the great question of it's not just... God went after Israel in chastisement when he showed his covenant love and fidelity and kindness and goodness. They failed to trust him. You don't have to run to Moab. You can be the prod other prodigal in the house who never left but doesn't trust the father. How many Times do parents make all kinds of poor choices with regard to their children for just hope? How many times are people willing to compromise all that they know to be right for just some light when they know the truth and won't speak it? 
all objectivity of the truth and of righteousness goes out the door, apply it. Apply it through and through to our lives. And in their own wisdom, we will find rest for ourselves from this pain. We will get rest ourselves. Whatever the case, what I want you to see here is whatever happened there, there is a big contrast of a righteous outcome. And I don't think you can miss that. (laughs) Here the story begins to build, the suspense of it. So so what happens? Uh, Naomi dresses up, and after Boaz had eaten and was well drunk and his heart was cheerful, she lay down, verse 6, beside him at the end of the heap of grain. She came softly, we read in verse 7, and uncovered his feet. Verse 8. And at midnight, the man was startled and turned over. Behold, a woman lay at his feet. Notice the emphasis there. Who are you? Now, that's going to be the great question of this text today. (laughs) Who are you? That's not just asked once in this text. I'll show you in a minute. Notice how how she went to do what Naomi said to do But she would not do and fulfill everything Naomi suggested. When Naomi said, uncover his feet and wait, see what he tells you, she could not, notice this, instead of offering herself sexually to him, she does something bold. Amazing. Take your maidservant under your wing Or better, spread the corner of your garment over your maidservant, for you are a redeemer. Ruth makes her intentions really clear. (laughs) She's come to Boaz, desiring for him to take her as his bride. That was symbolized. There's custom here that we have to understand. That was symbolized by asking Boaz to cover her with his robe. So, so when a man in the, in, the, in the ancient world like this wanted a wife in Israel, he would do that by symbolically throwing his garment over her. And here she's asking Boaz to do that. She was asking him to be the kinsman redeemer the nearest of kin to redeem her, to redeem Naomi. It was a radical request. Women didn't really do this at this time. But Ruth was honest. She didn't pursue Naomi's way. But with courage and with boldness approached Boaz and called for redemption. (laughs) Boaz rises up. Look at the response. Verse 10. Blessed are you of the Lord, my daughter, for you have shown more kindness at the end than at the beginning, and that you did not, listen to this, you did not go after young men, whether poor or rich, and now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you request, for all the people of my town know that you are a virtuous or a worthy woman, a virtuous woman. Wow, that's quite a bit different than Israel's history, isn't it? Boaz uses the same word. 
Kessid to refer to Ruth here. He speaks of her Kessid, her kindness. Ruth is showing loyalty. Ruth is, is showing covenant faithfulness to, to her mother-in-law. And Boaz is taken by a virtuous woman. What a righteous moment. What a righteous moment that just happened in Israel. This is Abounding Grace with Pastor Chris Gordon. Just enough time to leave you with our contact information. We'd love to hear from you. It's always a delight knowing you're being blessed by this radio program. Reach out to us at our website, agradio.org. Questions at agradio.org. If you wish to email us any questions you might have or praise reports, comments about the program, or give us a call, 888-504-8805. By the way, when you visit our website, agradio.org, tons of resource material for you to tap into, as well as links to our other platforms, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Again, all at agradio.org. And that phone number, once again, is 888-504-8805. Looking to write to us? If you're old school, the address for your envelope is Abounding Grace Radio, P.O. Box 732. Lyndon, Washington. The zip code is 98264. Hey, thanks for joining us today. Until next time, God bless. Abounding Grace is brought to you on this radio station by Abounding Grace Radio Ministries. Hi, this is Chris Gordon, pastor of the Escondido United Reformed Church. I'd like to invite you to our Sunday worship services at 9.30 a.m. and 5 o'clock p.m. on Sunday. We have two worship services, 9.30 a.m. and 5 o'clock p.m. We preach Christ and Him crucified with the goal that you would live in the joy of this comfort in the knowledge of the forgiveness of all of your sins. 1864 North Broadway is the address here in Escondido. We'd love to see you this Sunday.